Welcome to the latest episode of Platform. Today, we're going to be speaking to Mike Scott, or as the lady with the sexy voice in the Senate video says, Mike Scott. Thank you for that. Mike burst onto the scene in the mid-90s, I think it was around 96, and just kind of took the competition circuit in the US by storm. He was appearing in the top five very quickly alongside skaters like... You know, Renee Hulgrain, Sesamora, Arlo, all those guys. And very quickly, he started winning competitions, beating, you know, people that had been pretty dominant in previous years and, you know, were considered household names in aggressive skating in the vert discipline. Then the Senate video came out, Day of the Rope, and Mike Scott had a section in that that was mostly street and proved that he is just as capable on street as he is on vert. He was doing like half cab top soles, you know, just really stylish, comfortable street skating. He looked great on handrails, which I remember being shocked at as a kid because I always just thought of him as a vert skater or a competition skater. In fact, there's very few people from that era who were really like great at both. You know, it was very rare to have someone that would place on the podium at competitions, but also be able to hold their own on street with some of the best. In fact, when I think about it, it's mainly Australians, people like Tom Fry and Tim Ward and Matt Salerno, um, maybe in Europe, Sven Boathurst. But yeah, Mike Scott was just absolutely killing it. Then he just kind of disappeared. He had, he would have like pictures in Daily Bread. He would have the odd clip in Video Groove. But, you know, after his sections in Day of the Rope and later the Brian Smith film Night of the String, I just don't really feel that we saw much of him. I thought he was just one of those skaters that just kind of faded away from blading. Didn't really know what happened. Then a documentary came out last year that basically told the story. He had just a kind of really tragic time. His grandfather died and then his brother died, who was around his age and... You know, he also struggled with injury problems and then there was the downturn in the industry and he lost his sponsors. But throughout that time and a lot of medical issues, a lot of injury problems, he's never stopped skating. He's still active on Instagram. You can see, you know, regular recent clips from him. Got in touch with him just because, you know, he's got so many stories to tell. Just being at the competition circuit when it was at its height of popularity. He rode for Razors and Kryptonics. Later, he rode for Roses and Senate, two of the biggest brands in skating at the time. So I've asked him to try and remember some stories from that time because obviously it would have been very exciting, very fast paced, very hectic, you know, a lot of mainstream attention on blading at that time and he's promised me he will so before we get into all that cue the music The, the beard's grown in quite a bit since I saw that documentary about you, Mike. Oh yeah, it's coming in, it's coming in nice. <laughs> Where's the camp? Is it over there? Oh well, figure it out. 
Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Technology continues to baffle me as well. And I'm yeah. apparently, <laughs> apparently know what I'm doing. Um, so yeah, when, when that came out, I'd just kind of, cause obviously I remember seeing you in like nest competitions and stuff like that in the nineties. And you just kind of came out of nowhere and started like appearing in the top five, then the top three, and then like basically beating the big guys like Sesame yeah. and Rennie Hulgrey and stuff like that. But I just kind of thought you'd like, you know, cause so many skaters from that era just disappeared. They just quit or lost interest or got yeah. injured. And then that documentary came out and I was like, whoa, so that's what happened to him. And your story is you've got like, <laughs> I, I don't want to say incredible because it's, you know, there's been a lot, there was a lot of tragedy and obviously like hurt in it as well. But that story is, was absolutely fascinating to watch. And oh it, man, as, as soon Thank as I got you. to the end of it, I just scrolled back to the start and watched it all over again. Cause I was like, there's so much information to take in in this whole thing. Um, oh, that's so cool. What I don't believe is, though, there was one point in it where I know you get into rollerblading because you were big into motocross and you got injured yeah. and you did it for rehab. But you're like, oh, yeah, I didn't I didn't really take it seriously. I just thought of it as a way to get back on the motorbike. But yeah, I obviously got serious at some point because you then traveled to California to compete in this. And you, oh, yeah. you said yeah. that Renee Hulgrain was like your hero. So you, you must have had quite an interest in it. To I, I jumped right in. Like, because I started skateboarding when I was like four years old. So I was into skateboarding. Then uh, my dad in California, my real dad, he races motocross. And... I was just like, man, it's so cool. So I rode skateboards and dreamed of motocross. Man. I finally saved up, bought a bike, and I would skateboard every day, ride my bike, ride my bicycle. And then I got hurt. But that's when rollerblading was just starting. Yeah. Kind of. And uh, my, my first introductory to it was I was at Carlsbad Skate Park in California. Yeah, I know the there, one. There was a uh, Mike McGill skateboarder owned it. And so there was a, a motocross track about a mile and a half down the road. And I, I started skateboarding first my dad dropped me off. I'd go with him to the track and then I'd walk up to the skate park and skate. I met Chris Edwards and Jimmy Trimble. So that, that must've been like at, at the start start. Cause I remember yeah, that, that right, was when like, people were just doing stair rides and just like toying with the idea of grinding things. He got me Chris Edwards. First time I met him, I was on a skateboard and he convinced me to drop in on the vert ramp, this huge vert ramp there, on a skateboard. Right. And I did it, and then I was just in awe watching them skate. And I came back home, and I kind of just doubt. I, that's when I started. Uh, I didn't even have a good pair of skates. I think I had just some walmart like kmart ones back yeah. then 
and was just messing around with my friends here and there and wasn't a big deal to me at that time. And then, like I said, I broke my leg really bad riding dirt bikes and they built the skate park. And I started rollerblading to the skate park, but then I would ride my skateboard. And then slow, slowly, I just started like rollerblading more and more. I, I was really enjoying it. And uh, I love just airing and stuff like that. And then I don't remember what video I, I saw, but Renee Holgreen was in it. And I was just like, the way his style was, was so aggressive. And I was like that, I love that. It got me super excited. So I was just messing around at skate park one day and a rollerblade rep just so happened to drive by. Um, he heard there was a new skate park on his way. I don't know where he was going. And I, I was the only person there just skating and he just watched and he was like, man, you're pretty good. Um, let, let's sponsor you. I was like, no way. Like there's no way I'm that good, you know, but my dad lived in Southern California. So that was like a year. That's when I really was excited. You know, you get a sponsor, you're like, Whoa, I've always wanted a sponsor. I thought it'd be in skateboarding or motocross. Yeah. And, but I, I rollerblade sponsored me. And I just remember thinking it's so cool. I, they sent me a couple shirts and it was a rollerblade embroidery. It like, it wasn't screen printed yeah, yeah. or anything like that. That's how they did them. I, um, and it was like, they sent me two t-shirts and I probably wore them like so much i thought it's so cool to have uh because there's really no rollerblade clothing then. yeah so and all my friends were skateboard they all were skateboarders and then i had some bmx friends and dirt bike i kind of i didn't really run with just one group of people i i like all the i I like all different types of people Yeah. at a young age. Like I was, I thought I hung out with everyone. <laughs> it's, it's quite funny that you mentioned uh, Chris Edwards kind of, yeah. Inspiring you to pick up a pair of skates. Cause we had yeah. Eric Shrine on recently and uh, Eric, uh -huh. Eric was telling me that Chris Edwards used to be his youth pastor. And it was, oh. it was Chris that like got, he like forced Eric basically into going street skating with them. And if he hadn't have done that, you know, we wouldn't have had Eric Shrine. And he also, yeah. he also convinced Eric Shrine to skate for Senate. Oh, that's so cool. I think Eric was going to skate. He was going to go like join someone else. And Chris was like, no, like you should, like it would definitely be a better idea to go with those guys. Cause it was before Senate was even Senate really. Like. Yeah, at the very, very start, and <clears throat> look what that turned. And well, you know, because Eric was your teammate for a while. So yeah, that's that's pretty. Yeah, funny. yeah, it, it was awesome. Those guys were. Um, I skated with the Esco guys a lot. They right. were the people because my dad lived in San Clemente, 
Okay. And that's like 40 minutes away from where Eric and them live, maybe an hour. So, um, but I met all those guys too at my very first skate contest. And Where's that? Where's that? Ness? Long, that was Long Beach Ness. Right. Um, probably 94, I would guess. Something okay. like that. Um, yeah, 94, 95. And how, how did you do in the first contest? I won. Right. So, all oh, right. So that is that. Okay. I was, because that was around about the time I started watching them and I couldn't remember if I had my, my dates messed up. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I, I found out there was going to be a, a NIS and in the summers I would go visit my dad. So I talked to them and said, Hey, will you guys take me to long beach? So I go try the skate contest. And it was cool. Cause, uh, Matt Mance really convinced me. He came up to St. George and we met and I didn't street skate at all. When at first, um, I was just, I loved just doing airs and yeah. stuff like that. But quickly, uh, I dabbled in street skating when Matt would come around, but that's I didn't a bit, find that's it a bit random for him to be in. What was Matt doing in Utah? Cause isn't he from Vegas? Yeah. It's an out. Utah's only an hour and a half from Vegas. Ah, right. Okay. Like we were so close. I basically have grown up between Las Vegas and Utah my whole life. Right. Just kind of bouncing back and forth. And, uh, yeah. So Matt Mance, I met him. He got me, he got me sponsored with Kryptonics. And if it wasn't for Matt convincing me, Hey, go to California and compete. I'm going to be there. Uh, that's what really I was like, okay, I'll try it. That's and, yeah, that's pretty wild. Okay. Yeah. And so Matt Mance got me hooked up with Kryptonics. And that's important because the Kryptonics rep the next weekend after the Long Beach contest took me to the YMCA skate park, the famous yeah. blue, big blue one. And uh I show up. We skate our session. When we're leaving, I run into Marco Hinte, who I met the weekend before at the skate contest. And he was like, hey, man, I'm here doing a photo shoot with for a new skate. And I met Rich Cook. Um, he's a photographer. He was the Razors team manager for, like, quite a while, too. Okay. So that I met. I did a photo shoot with them. They asked me, Rich said, Hey, I'll take, send you some pictures. If, if you uh, could skate with us and you know, I'm like 14, 15. I was like, what? That's awesome. So excited. And then by the time I got home back to Utah, a couple weeks later, some guy from Germany's calling me and it's Andy Wagner, the owner of razors. And he says, hey, I want to fly you out to Germany to um, ISPO yeah, and do the, the ISPO and all that. And I was like, uh, uh, kind of sketched some random guy, never me, offering yeah. to fly your, fly your kid out. to Like pre, pre-people having like 
internet in their homes pre yeah. you can't you can't do a background check on them it could it could literally be anyone calling you and so we kind of left it up to fate my mom my mom did she said <laughs> okay if if it's meant to, i didn't have a passport and that's that why i was time, gonna ask because you must have been pretty young like yes yeah, i was like so, did you even have what was necessary to travel yeah no. The only place I ever flown in my life was from Las Vegas to California. One hour flight. That was the most flying I ever did before that. And this guy calls up and offers to pay for my trip out there. And my mom was kind of like, well, uh, let's put it up to fate. If he can get his passport time, you go. How, well, how old were you at this time? Yeah, it's crazy, bro. You must have been like sixteen, like no, like fourteen, fifteen. Okay, like young. Yeah, I would say fifteen because I remember Andy uh, paid me, and I used that money to buy my first like piece of crap car for like twelve hundred bucks. He paid me a hundred bucks a month at first. Right. Like, and then skates and travel, yeah. stuff like that. But, um, so yeah, he calls up. We say, okay, we mail everything in. And this is back when you had to mail everything. So it, it would take a long time. Yeah. And I got it back in like two weeks. And so my mom was like, holy crap. Uh, I guess it's meant to be, is what she said. And, we rolled the dice and went and uh i got it's just myself and marco hinte marco's a year younger than me so if i'm 15 he's like 14 and at the time he could barely speak english he yeah. came from mexico yeah that must have been cre- yeah and then obviously going to germany and oh yeah, terrifying yeah. get off yeah. the plane and it's not like america just way different um you get off and you have people in army or whatever their military is with AK 40s with and you're just like, what? And we didn't know about customs or anything. So we got off the plane and we're just waiting like for someone to come get us and no one does. And a couple hours late is like probably like two hours. And we were, we're young. We start panicking. Like, so we were going to go check ourselves back onto a plane and the, the uh, flight attendant, whoever, whatever they're called, says, hey, have you been through customs? And we were like, no, what's we had no clue what any of that was. Yeah. So <laughs> he guides us over to customs and we walk out. And Mike Giacinte is like, there you guys are. <laughs> I mean, as a kid, how are you meant to know? Like, it's if if you've not done any international travel with oh. know, your family or whatever, like, th- there's a lot of there's a lot of assumed knowledge there that you just won't have. Yeah, it 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 super. Uh, looking back, I'm like, holy crap! Like, I can't even picture. I have a daughter; it's 22, and I worry if she goes anywhere. <laughs> yeah, uh, although it's it's a it's different time now. Like I remember, oh yeah, in, in the nineties, track them now. <laughs> yeah, in the nineties, like your parents would just kind of let you run wild, and you know, you came oh. home when you came home, and but now, like now that we know 
and the internet yeah. is fed into this. We know of all the threats and dangers out there, and you know, creepy, yes. weird people there are. Like, it's just, there's, there's, there's such a thing as having too much knowledge, and it just being a negative thing. Oh yes, sir. I'm with you on that. It, it's uh, it, it's crazy. Look, thinking back, like um, about that. No, we were like the last free range kids. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. 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 I've, Nowadays, yeah I've, I've, I've got a daughter and she, I, there's no way in hell I'd let her go and run the streets on her own at night. Not a chance in hell. Oh, yeah. It, it's like, what? I used to literally just tell my mom, hey, I'm going skating. Okay. Be 10 o'clock at night, come home at midnight. Yeah. Just as long as I checked in every couple hours. <laughs> so it's crazy to think that you basically ended up, yeah, as as a young teenager ended up in Germany all off the back of that one competition in Long Beach in California. Yeah. What was that first event like? Because the NIS events used to have even, you know, like all the regional stops, relatively big crowds. Did you not, what was your experience like when you got there? Did you not get to the event and be like, holy shit, I don't know if I'm actually like. Yeah. I got very lucky. The very first event was in, uh, long beach so i had all my a cup some of my friends from uh las vegas were there so it it really made it just like a comfortable seat like skate skate session yeah just skating with i had four or five friends from from vegas that uh they would come up to st george because that was the closest vert ramp at the time Ah, uh, right. That makes sense. Okay. So they would all come up, even the closest skate park. So they would drive the hour and a half, two hours, stay the day, like be there morning till close. So we all got to know each other. And the very first event, we all just, just so happened to have went. We didn't like coordinate it or anything. Yeah. Um, the only person I knew when I... Sh- at that event was Matt Mans. Okay. And then he introduced me to like Eric Shrine. And I didn't really talk to too much of the street skate guys because I was just playing on the vert ramp. And then I got to meet uh, Renee Holgreen. To this day, I have a Kryptonic shirt that has his signature on it. And I, it's the only signature I've ever asked anyone for. And I still yeah. have it. He was like the he was like one of the, like the rock stars of Vert because obviously if yeah. anyone had seen Hoax Three, they knew he was a big partier and he was a big drinker and like you know loved to have uh-huh. a good time. And then when you saw him on the Vert ramp, he didn't look like any other skater on the Vert ramp. He had the wild long red hair. Yeah, like you know he did just that. He was doing like the flips that no one else was doing at that time, and mm-hmm. everything just looked really chaotic and dangerous. But yet he somehow managed to just survive the runs and when you watched him skate oh. he, he made vert look scary like he made it look dangerous. oh yeah yeah like it wasn't like this beautiful flowing it looked like strong and powerful and yeah. just like aggressive and i was like man that's awesome and then so i go to the first event and i only practice like airs and stuff right and all of a sudden i find out they're judging on grinding and all this stuff. So I literally started learning like soul stalls 
if you ever can find the video, like I, I'm doing just soul stalls I, and stuff like that. But my runs were good enough to win. Um, but is, yeah. Is and, that the one where you beat Renee and Sesamora? So that's a, uh, so go like a year later. Right. Okay. So I go to that first year is pretty crazy. I go to my first national skate contest. I win, but Lausanne, Switzerland was the same time. They used to do them like the same weekend. So yeah. you literally had to choose stay in the States and compete there or go to Switzerland, the ISPO and do all that. So my very first event, I show up to ISPO. They have this cool ramp set up for Marco and I and a couple uh, other lo- like skaters from Europe. And I'm skating and someone says, oh, there's a Rossi's thing. And that's at time like the Rossi's team was the best. Yeah. So, but what it was just so cool because I showed up and Renee remembered me. And he introduced me to like Arlo and Jess. I have pictures of when I first met them. And I just remember thinking it's so cool that he remembered who I was. I and mean, if, if this guy comes out of nowhere and then beats you like a vert cut, like you're good, that, that's going to stick in your memory. Well, but he didn't skate that weekend. Oh, he, right, okay, he, right. he, he was hurt or something. So I never even competed against him. Right, he was okay. just at he he just so happened to be at that event like that makes he was just hanging out more than anything so i go to ispo and i just remember doing one of the last demos and i look over and like the whole rossi's team is watching marco and i and i just that is like one of those oh man your peers are watching you like people you respect look up to and uh it super cool um then we go to switzerland and marco and i had to compete in the juniors we so they have like a june i don't know if you remember they had like what they called juniors and then the pros yeah so marco and i compete in that i won that then the people who ran the the Lausanne, I forget who who ran it, but I've got no idea. Yeah, whoever ran it, they offered me to give up the first place and go straight into the pro uh, contest, and I was like, "That'd be awesome. See, just see where I compare." Yeah, yeah. And I end up taking ninth. So at the end of the day, I end up ninth in the world in like my third contest. And just Plus, like, yeah, like for such a big event to even, yeah, just be even in competition with it is, is instantly going to make people know who you are and like bring notoriety to you. Cause they're going to be like, who, who the hell is this guy up and amongst, you know, the best fair skaters. In the oh world. yeah. It, and I just remember looking out and at that time, thousands of people would show up to those events. So I just remember I have a picture of just like, I'm doing a, a, 
I want to say a, a mute grab or something. And I'm, I have it tweaked and you could just see all the spectators in the background. Oh yeah. And it, it, bas- just, it basically looked like a music festival. Yeah. Yeah. So I got, I got to meet all them and, uh, then uh something awesome happened tory Tercedor moved to saint george you, you don't you don't get to skip you don't get to skip through that quite so quickly because ah, what, what, what was it like being, where are we going what was it like being a teenager in germany and you know for espo and oh. Lausanne? like what was there anyone looking out for you or like being like right let's get these guys to the hotel room oh. it's getting quite late or were you just exposed to all kinds of partying and <laughs> there, like- there was a there was yeah it was so crazy so have you seen damaged goods yeah like i'm in, i'm in that that was like the very i just remember that came out and they show a couple clips of me and i just remember like oh my god i'm in i'm in a t-bone films like I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Um, yeah, that was crazy to say the least. But that first year, I was so timid. Like, I literally just wanted to go to the event and go back to the room. Right. So it wasn't till the following year where now I'm like 15, 16 where i'm comfortable with these guys i uh but i was one of the guys i just wanted to skate man i didn't i didn't really get into we partied and stuff a little bit but in those first like year or two i literally um while everyone was partying i was skating they had an awesome spine ramp at at the lausanne contest and that was the second year I went. And other than that, though, I just literally went to the room, went to the event. That first year, uh, I didn't do too much exploring outside of the event or even hanging out with anyone. Because I came from a little town in, well, even though I grew up in Las Vegas and St. George, the bulk of my life, you know, you moved to St. George, it's a small little town. Right. St. George, Utah is not not a big place. I, so, yeah, I, I don't really know anything about Utah other than it's got a lot of, it's got some dry cities where it's, it's hard to buy alcohol or you can't buy alcohol. And I know that there's a kind of relatively large Mormon population there. Yeah. That, that's about all. And Utah Jazz, I know about the Utah Jazz, but that's about it. Yeah, so, but so, I imagine I always kind of think of it as a relatively conservative state, and then you've yeah. got Vegas, which just kind of seems like party town. So, what was it? What was it like going between those two places growing up? Like, surely it must it must have been quite different. No. So, so oh yeah, like so when I lived in Las Vegas, we were considered like the white family that lived in the black neighborhood, right? And so when we first moved to Utah, it was just mind blowing. Like everyone was just white. Okay. So culturally like that, those differences were a big shock. Um, but with skateboarding, anything, you know, like skateboarding, I immediately found other skateboarders because you had skate shops. So you 
St. George had one skateboard shop. You'd go hang out there. Someone eventually would come in. You'd go skateboard together. Right. And so I always had, um, and at that time, skateboarding, you were considered like an outsider and you didn't really fit into the mold of everything else back then. Oh yeah. Like in, in, in the mid, in the mid nineties, skateboarding was considered, you know, alternative or weird. Whereas now it's, yeah. now it's like the, the, the popular the thing popular. to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. But I kind of always knew it was going to be, it's just one of those things in my head, there was no same with rollerblading, all, all of these things that are huge now. When I was doing them, I always just pictured it. It's going to be this one day type of thing. Um, but that could have just been me dreaming in my head. And obviously, I didn't do anything to help it. <laughs> so, um, I mean, the skateboard, the skateboarding one does make sense because it, it's so easily crossed over into streetwear. And as soon as streetwear became a big thing and like, you mm-hmm. know, like the whole trainer selling like sneakers like reselling things like that became big of course because you can literally just dress head to toe normally as you would in day-to-day life on a skateboard Mm -hmm. and you can sell trainers on a skateboard you can't sell you can't scale say can't sell sneakers on rollerblades yeah yeah you're you're not advertising them (laughs) so um so yeah it 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 just seemed inevitable that skateboarding was going to come back and be massive and yeah um so you've done that event and there seemed to be a lot of like right place right time for you because it's like you go to the skate park you get noticed you go to you go to your first event you clean up and meet all these people you know Mm -hmm. you meet someone who then offers you another opportunity and that leads to another opportunity and then you're in europe just snowballed that's why i said i i really was a skateboard slash wanting to ride dirt bikes and then all of a sudden I'm on this just snowball going downhill and it's getting bigger <laughs> every time I turned around. So then I was like, okay, I rollerblade. Like that's what I do. Yeah. Um, so at no point did you, were you ever tempted to be like, oh, well, this is going great. But you know, the, the goal, the dream is always to be back on the motorbike. I, I rode like, the minute I got a little bit of money, first thing I did was buy a brand new dirt bike. Right. So I, I got right back into riding, but I viewed it as my hobby. Like skating was my passion by then and dirt bikes. It's still a passion, but not saying. Okay. Like I, I enjoy watching the races. I enjoy dirt bikes a lot. But I mean, I haven't even owned one in like 10 years or more. Uh oh. Oh, crap. We're back. We're alive. Yeah. Um, uh, let me, sorry. I need a charger. It says I'm dying. No worries. We'll be okay. Ugh. Sorry about that. Let's go in my bedroom and plug it in. Okay. Sorry about that. It's all good. 
There we go. So now we're back. You were you were on razors and Kryptonics, and Andy obviously f- ended up flying you out to Europe a bunch, like to yeah. do things like Espo and Lausanne. How how did it transition from being razors and Kryptonics to being Roses and Senate? So I had a falling out with uh, Razor. Sorry, got to figure this. <laughs> I had a falling out with with Razors. Um, right. So I go to Switzerland the first year that whenever that was. So we're getting ready for ISPO again. So we're about a year later. Um, I was in California. I was just kind of hanging out and Marco and I were skating and my grandfather dies. And I'm in Mexico and my mom says, you have to come home. And then a big ordeal between them and my mom and me uh, ultimately led to me just saying like, I'm, I'm not fuck you guys basically. Yeah. So um, like I said, looking in hindsight, we both probably could have handled it different, but I'm a kid. And- I suppose the difference is like, there's, there's no way you're going to handle that as an adult because you're not an adult. And plus it's your family. If your mom's like, come home, you're a yeah, kid. Like, like you do, you do what your mom tells you. So my mom, the compromise was like, Hey, Mike needs to come do this. We'll, we'll make sure he's out to, uh, for the contest in, in Switzerland. And like, not really sure what transpired in between everyone but ultimately like i just was done arguing and was like no i'm done and i just left left razors right i um in the end like ended up flying myself back uh dropped off my skates just in a garbage can and left (laughs) and flew myself home razors offered to fly me back but at that point i already had a ticket and all that and just flew myself left them so i get home the there was a sporting store that had a pair of oxygens and i bought those i bought some cosmo wheels at that time (laughs) And just because they're the best wheels. I know. Yeah, well, it, it sounds like you just went for the full manual biller setup. Yeah. Yeah, okay. basically. And I just flew my flew myself to uh, uh, San Francisco. There was one NIS. I didn't skate any NISs that year. I skated all ASA with Razors, just did the ASA tour. I went to Nis San Francisco, and it was just incredible. I show up, it Renee was there, and Renee and I go end up in the finals. So it's me and Renee going head to head. I try a 540 to 720 to a fakie 900, and I fall on the fakie 900. He lands all his tricks, he wins. 
uh, go a couple months later. I'm at NIS in, uh, I think is Huntington beach. This was the, this was like the, the NIS, the finals, NIS the series finals. finals. Yeah. Yep. And cause this is the, this is the one that John Julio beat Jeff Loretto in, right? Yep. Right. And I won the, the vert, right. but same thing comes down to, uh, Renee and I, and he falls and I win. And so then the main person for Rossi's was there and um, for Rossi's USA, not, right. not Italy. Um, they had an after party at the after party. Renee introduced me to her and was like, you should put Mike on the team. So they sent me a pair of skates and that that was it i started i rode rosies for a few years and i mean that's um, that, that's pretty awesome getting the seal of approval off like the the one guy in the sport that you have that the, I, high, the he, highest respect for yeah oh and and that so then so now i'm like a year into it i we're we're young kids <laughs> just partying and uh they're they would throw these big after parties and be like no alcohol everyone found alcohol somehow <laughs> yeah i mean you can't and like just the type of activity that any extreme sport is it doesn't yeah. lend itself to people who follow rules like especially like street skaters street skaters oh, are used to breaking yeah. and entering you know damaging property like getting into trouble all the time so if you're like oh you can't do this the majority of those, especially like testosterone fueled teenage boys or like young men, <laughs> yeah. they're all going to be like, we'll find a way. <laughs> yeah. They, um, so, but in the middle of that year, um, Tori, Tori Tercedor moved to St. George. Right. He used to live in Salt Lake. They moved to St. George. I come back from, so he moves and that whole year he's like begging us to go street skate with them. And I just wasn't into it for some reason. And then my best friend starts street skating with Tori and they finally convinced me to go. And the first day I, I learned like four or five tricks on a handrail. And I was like, oh, this is pretty fun. Yeah. Well, when and, the progression's that fast, you're gonna be like, oh, this is this is exciting. Things are things are moving quickly here. Okay. Yeah. So then I had the I was one of the few guys at the time, except for Tom Fry and the like the likes of him. I started putting more grinds and stuff into more lip trick, what whatever you want to call them. Yeah, on pe people used to comment on you having like it's quite funny they would comment on you having a street style on vert on but yet you, you say it yourself grinds came very late to you you were all just about trying to get as much air as possible yeah but what but really i something about grinding on a vert ramp is so scary that it made street not scary <laughs> Well, you know, a handrail doesn't have a 12 to 13 foot drop. Yeah. And in St. George, for some reason, we like we had a small rail scared me. 
So I would rather go like do a 16 stair rail where everyone else wanted to do a six stair. Okay. And just, I was terrible because you would just, you would hit the ground so hard on a small rail. You miss, you basically catch your sack on the very end of the rail and head first into the ground. I suppose I know. Yeah. It's like everything's very, like if it goes wrong, it goes wrong very quickly. Whereas yeah. if you're on a long rail, you've, you kind of notice that, oh, my, my balance <laughs> oh, this is off. Or, this yeah, is no yeah. good. Yeah. I know what you mean. But it, if it wasn't for like Tori coming and him, him becoming really good friends with like my best friend at the time, um, I don't know if I ever would have even bothered with grinds too much. Like at the time I did the bare minimum, I literally was doing like stalls. Okay. And then I went to Lausanne the first year and I saw Tom Fry. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And at the time, it was only the Australian guys that skated street and vert. That's that's what I was going to comment on because you were one of the few. When your day of the rope section came out, I was like, I didn't know he could skate street. I thought he was just this competition vert guy. And until then, the only people I knew that were winning competitions in vert and just as capable on street were Aussie guys, Australian guys like Tim yep. Ward, Tom Fry, Matt Slerno. And then the only other person I could think of was Sven Bokhurst. And yeah. But oh my God. He's still, he's amazing. He's, he's still unbelievable. So yeah. good. Like he's been very lucky. Like injuries, obviously, uh, a few dampers in my life, but um, he, I, I love seeing him just killing it. Um, so was this was this back when Tori Trasetter was going by the name Tori Rex? T Rex. Yeah, yeah. I remember <laughs> I remember those days. Yeah. And he was riding yeah, for that, is this when was he on Razors then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got um pretty much any sponsor I got, I had a couple friends that I would try pushing on just because I, I got to skate with them all the time and they were so good. Um I was like the these guys are incredible. You got, you got to hook them up. But then Tori did the smart thing. He, he went to California yeah. and gave it a proper go. Um, that's something I, I like put forth an effort and then he, real, you know, adulthood, you were expected to like get a job and, at the time, even though I was making money, everyone's like, when are you going to get a real job? I suppose, when yeah, are, yeah. It's, especially when, because it doesn't make sense to people. It doesn't, like, you can never yeah. explain that to someone. Oh, like, I earn this much a month, and all I oh, do is yeah. go to competitions and rollerblade, and they're like, that, that's not a job. That doesn't make sense. Oh, I have a story of uh, I got in trouble street skating. And I go in front of the judge and it's like the third time and he's just ripping me a new one over a criminal trust, like something stupid. Yeah. And, and me being the smart ass, um, I asked him how much the fine is. He told me I pulled out cash and set it on the table and he goes, Oh, you think you're a big guy? And he like maxed me out. <laughs> 
but I was trying I mean, to just you, you kind of brought that upon yourself, but okay. yeah, a hundred percent, hundred percent. But I was, I just didn't go about it the right way. Yeah. It was like I kept telling him it's my job, and he's saying there's no way you make enough money. And I said, tell me how much this fine is. And he told me, and I pulled out a wad of cash, and he's like, oh, well, it's actually going to be this much. And I was like, "Well, that's what I get." Yeah, like I don't, I don't feel so clever now. A minute, no, a minute no. ago, I thought I'd, I thought I'd won this, but no, 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 no. I, I thought maybe because I would tell him, I was like, "Sir, this is my job. This is what I get paid to do." And he's like, "Like everyone else, oh, it's a waste of time. It's not a job." And especially in Utah, there's a uh, back then it was like when are you getting married um that when you gotta start fan all that kind of stuff and so i had a lot of different people in my ear and you never know what to do when you're that young and then um i had a good good few years luckily and that's what i was gonna ask because you were right so you were sponsored by roses you were sponsored by senate were you not on pawn as well is that right yeah yeah and who scott walker man, i remember that, that yeah who who that looked, guy took super good care of me even after pawn when i when rosie's uh dropped me so i got hurt i i had a year where i got hurt really bad i had like two knee surgeries and uh rosie's was just like hey you're not you're not they were all about winning so it was like, hey, you're not winning. Uh, we're not renewing your contract. So they, like, they ended it with you. Right, because there, yeah, was, there yeah. was other people who I remember. I can't remember who it was. It was someone that kept getting hurt. And I remember Rosie's just kind of kept giving them, like just kept them on. Who was it? That's totally escaped me now. But yeah, I remember like some brands were like surprisingly lenient with some writers and then really tough yeah. on others. Yeah, it was like, hey, you're you're not winning. Because the first two years I skated for them, I would go to a contest and I would place invert and street. Yeah. In most cases. Um, so they like that. But when you start skating street a lot, like the injuries are, vert's much more forgiving. So I was skating street a lot and... I tore the knee that I blew out when I rode motocross. Um, I've had it rebuilt seven times total. So I've had seven right knee surgeries throughout my, my career. How do they keep rebuilding it? Is there not just a point where they're like, we're just going to shove you full of metal? Uh, they, no one wanted to do it because of how young I've been. Right. And then the last time I did went in, the doctor's like, he literally, I, he was a, a really well-known uh, sports doctor, did a lot of UFC fighters, did a lot of uh, football guys, stuff like that. Okay. So I go to him, he's kind of a ball buster. After my surgery, he says, well, I did what I could. And I was like, well, what's that mean? Yeah, that's, 
That's, I thought he was going to be like... That's a scary thing to say to someone. You're like, Yeah, what? like, I thought he was going to say something and start joking, because that's the type guy he was. But he was like, no. And I'm like, okay, what, what's that mean? He's like, hopefully I bought you a couple more years. He goes, you really need a knee replacement. So now I'm just kind of holding out until it goes one more time, and that'll be it. So around before the injury started happening, there was obviously like a couple of years where it was just going really well for you. Yeah. And you were winning these events. What were like, can you even remember all the events you won or like, like some of the, some of the like highlights as far as you were concerned? Like, obviously there was the NIST championship, um, which that was a big one, but a lot of the stuff I honestly like, I just wanted to go skate. Yeah. Even even now I'm like that. Like that's why there's no footage really of me. Like I hate going out and trying to film. I'm one of those people, like if you just film me, something good will come of it. If you want me to like do this line in a particular way, it doesn't work. I I, I have mean, to flow. You you say that, but then I remember because I was talking to Eric Schrein about making the first Senate video, Day of the Rope, and he said that they had so long to make that. He was like, it was great. We went on tours, da 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 Because I was like, did did you guys know this video was getting made? Because I remember a lot of people being quite surprised when it came out. Um, and he was like, oh, yeah, we did, did it. But then there was other people. Like the California you. guys did. Yeah. Everyone like, your, else. Yours was filmed in a very short space of time. And you still came through with a very strong section in that video. And I know it wasn't was, one of your favorites, but it was. No. Like, it had a good mix of street and park and vert. And you, yep. like, you killed it in that section. We skated. That was done in four or five days. Yeah. Yeah. So you so came you, out. You saying that you BK can't handle it. You handled it like you were put under pressure. They were like, "This is this is the small amount of time you've oh, got no, but, get to work." What they did was they just filmed. They he literally would get in a space and be like, "Okay, guys, skate," and that's how BK shot me at least. And then every once in a while, he would be like, "Oh, could you redo this? I missed it," but. That I don't mind. It's when I go somewhere and there it's one trick in particular you want to get. And um it just if I don't feel it that day, I I don't like doing it. Right. I I'm a big like just flow and something good will come of it. Just let me skate and something will some stuff will just happen. What what was do you know what the significance was of the woman's voice at the start or where how they got that clip? Oh, uh, that was, I believe, the woman that said Mike Scott was uh, a receptionist at Senate. Right. Okay. It just seemed. And then the two girls were random. just some. The yeah. Then the two girls were literally these two girls that we just ran into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that made sense. I was like, oh, yeah. that's, that's obviously just happened at like a demo or a contest or something. But yeah, the, the the sexy receptionist voice. I was like, this is a bit strange, but okay. I guess I would call in, and she would be like, "Hey, Mike Scott's here," but would say, "Arlo liked how it sounds." 
But um, I ended up leaving Senate because I went to supercomputer robots. Uh, this is the very... Yeah, this was the bit in the documentary that I was really confused by because I remember you getting the wheel and, oh, I want to ask you about that as well. What was the significance of the comb? Because you obviously had always had a comb in your artwork or and in the wheel. And I was like, So th that was Arlo's thing. Um, but you I usually started... tailored them to people. Like the artwork was usually tailored to the skater in some way, like TJ Weber had cigarettes because like and stuff like that. Yeah. Or, but so No, he did. So somehow... I just picked up a comb one day from Senate. We were there. I picked one up and everyone at time would carry them in their back pocket, but I actually would skate with mine. And the idea, honestly, my idea was like, Oh, when it's gone, it's gone. People kept bringing it back to me. <laughs> like it would fly out at a contest and someone would bring it back. So it just turned into its own thing. Right. And then he came out with the wheel right after that. I only had one comb and I think I had it for like two years. <laughs> okay. Right. I still have it somewhere. Cause that was my thing. Oh, once I lose it, it's gone. But literally it would fly out of my pocket during a run. And a couple hours later, someone bring it back to me. All right. Um... Yeah. So yeah, yeah it, so you mentioned it really this, had no no big significance or anything right. like that. That that clears that up. So yeah, you mentioned yeah, this was in the documentary. Obviously, Arlo wanted to start a different brand from Senna. He want it wanted to be like you know have its own kind of yeah different theme. Basically, and yeah, it was, it was all the kind of big competition skaters at the time, all the guys that were, you know, dominating events. So there was you, Marco Hinsey, John Bergeron, Aaron Feinberg. Yeah. I've actually heard some like kind of wild stories about this because uh, they tried to get, I think it was Brian Shima. Yeah. They tried to get Brian Probably. Shima to join as well. And Shima went no and ended up going with Shane and doing mind game yeah. uh, before starting four by four. But I feel like, supercomputer robots was only around for a tiny period of time and it was like a year yeah there was never any explanation from arlo about what happened to it or why it died or i don't even remember seeing the stuff in shops i remember seeing a few people wearing t-shirts and hoodies with a skull mm -hmm. on it i remember seeing a few sets of wheels and then it was gone yeah like the gist of it him and brooke we're having some issues at Senate. I think Arlo just needed a, wanted more control maybe. I, I don't know. I, I've never really talked to him about it. But I know he was just like, hey, I'm going to fold this up. Uh, sorry. So he, he uh, right, that was because I thought Supercomputer yeah. Robots was running at the same time as Senate. So he, he quit Senate to work on that. No, he was doing both. Right, okay. But him and Brooke had like a similar um, jobs at Senate. And okay. I think creatively, I, I honestly don't have, like, I've never asked Arlo. That's that's just basically what you've like heard. Yeah, he, he like told, he said, I, I'm sorry, but I'm going to, uh, close it up 
was bummed because I finally got on the team that I felt I should be on, like I fit in well with. Went to this team that I was like, this is amazing. All of us skate street, all of us skate for we we're like one of the rare teams that can show up and kill anything. Yeah. And every every guy was so good. I and so it was disappointing in that aspect. We talked about doing like Arlo had these cool ideas with like uh having the vans be like all black vans and us basically just show up they would set up demos us show up destroy and just leave <laughs> stuff like that like um did did any of the ideas he came up with for the brand did any of them actually happen no like we we i think marco hinte had the first ad in a daily bread right. and then we shot my ad at at a handrail um uh, he had me it, i was in all black black skates black everything and we did it at sunset and so you could just see this black figure like grinding down a rail yeah it was it ended up being in a in a in some video as an ad in australia okay is it, but it folded in between that so did arlo because from the way it was set up he said that he took all these people to like hotel rooms and basically tried to get them like onto the team and it was all very corporate looking um i remember aaron feinberg talking about it once did he give did he give a reason Not for me. why all oh, right okay he's just like he legit was just like hey mike i'm starting this company and to me, like Arlo, I would go to California, stay at his house. Like I felt like we were friendly, like, you know, and he asked me, I felt honored. So I went with it. I took a jump. Yeah. Didn't work out. No big deal. Uh, so at the end, did he give any reason for why he was ending it? Like, was there was there any indication no, nothing it just he, stopped. he may have he may he did personally like tell us it was ending and like he we briefly talked about me like maybe taking it over uh but i recall i was like no nah, i'm not i'm not that type of guy like i i can't run a company that's not my <laughs> my deal um plus it's a, it's a lot to ask of a teenager that's trying to be a competition skater to then hey do you want to do you want to do this as well that's a that's a I lot i just have no i always felt like i'm not an art type person like i i can't draw for anything like skating's my art like yeah. that's where i get that creativeness out of me um but not not with not in that aspect when i looked at ads and stuff like that to me it was like no way like, i figured a, yeah just like I, I can't under yeah i can't understand how someone's come up with that yeah yeah right. it just doesn't my brain does not compute that kind of stuff so um, yeah like when 
Sorry. Go ahead. You were gonna, no, no, go ahead. Um, when Supercomputer Robots ended, did any other like wheel company approach you and be like, well, now that you're a free agent, we want you? You know what? Like, I think people just randomly started fl- giving me wheels. I always had wheels and stuff. So, but at that time, like, it was like the very next year where everything just crumbled, anyways. Right. The, all I had a few like corporate sponsors and they just pulled the plug. So, I mean, I literally went from like making a few thousand a month yeah. to a thousand dollars a month overnight. What, what uh, non skating brands were you sponsored by? I skated like Slim Jim. Okay. They, right. Yeah. <laughs> I they, remember, them. Yeah. Um, and then there, what was the skate? There's another skate company of types. I forget. Um, but rollerblading wasn't their main thing. And the minute it quit making them money, it, I, I honestly, I mean, keep track. The not most like, important not like, people. Not like that, Fila or anything like that, no. So Fila, like, flew me places sometimes because okay. i was really good friends with um with uh jake uh oh my gosh tip my tongue he rode for medium jake elliott yes i can't right. believe yeah him and i were like he would come to to utah and just hang out his grandparents lived there oh okay so we spent a lot of time together but I, by then, let's see, I'm like 18 around that time. So just a couple of years, everything is good for like two years, one year getting started. Two, so I, I really only got paid for like three, four years. Right. To, and then I start trying to figure out life. <laughs> but it, during that, um, I leave Rosie's and I didn't have a wheel sponsor and, uh, Scott Walker, he, he owned, um, Oh my gosh. What was it? Big Dan, Big Dan imports. Right. And Big Dan imports sponsored me, which in turn, I, I was skated on USDs for like a long time. Um, he just, dude, that guy gave me stuff with never asking me for a video part, anything. Uh, the couple times I felt like competing, he paid for me to go and do everything. Like it, he did a lot for just for me as product and yeah. just taking care of me. That's what and, I was going to ask. See, after after things ended with roses and then later with senate did you have any desire to keep competing and just go because obviously esa was still still went on for a little bit x games so, still, still went on for a little bit after that did you did you have any motivation to like just fly yourself out to these events and try and just i was like, just street skating right i dove like i i became a just full-blown all i did was street skate for a few several years and then St. George got another skate park and the boom of all the skate parks slowly started happening. 
which fit me perfect. Um, your your most mo- most skate parks nowadays is a little mixture of everything. Yeah. Other than a vert ramp, usually. But that's what I was going to um, say. Like, what what made you move away from the vert ramp? Like, because obviously that was what you were all about for a few years, and then there just wasn't one. Right. They the skate park closed down, and then I had a bunch of injuries, so I moved to Salt Lake City because they had a vert ramp here, and I was only here for a few months, and I was like, no. So then I. I moved all the way to California and lived with my dad for like a few months. And I just skated with Tori and those guys. Uh, I did some filming for life plus. Um, yeah, I just went to California and just skated with those guys Okay. for a few months and trying to figure things out, basically, uh, figure out life. Like, can I just skate? Can what what do I gotta do? Then I came back to Utah and just started trying like all these different jobs, just odd jobs. Um, but my whole passion was still skating. That's like all I wanted to do. But you but, but by this point, you'd obviously decided that you didn't want to kind of continue along the competition circuit because the competition circuit was still going. It may not have yeah, been as lucrative, yeah. but it, it was still, it still existed. Yeah. I just kind of just injury, you know, riddled with injuries. Like I'm on people. I, I go, I don't know how to just kind of like chill. Like I want to go hard when yeah. I, do stuff so i i get hurt like a lot <laughs> so um but the big injury that really put a damper uh was a, probably about when i was 22 23 i split or i was doing a disaster on a kinked rail and i disastered and missed and split the rail and crushed a disc in my back and that's when my spine problems started and having back surgeries and all that fun stuff. Yeah, because wasn't is, is that around the time that you had the kind of mystery illness as well where you basically uh, ended that, up? That ended was, up being like 10 years later. That was, that was that far later. Okay, right. Yeah, so I got sick when I was – so I'll be 42 – like in a week right so in my 20s so, let me had, so you so you've been through all those knee injuries which is insane like an insane yeah. number of knee injuries then you have the massive spinal injury and then yeah. after you've got over all of that a decade later you almost die from something that they yeah do you even illness. know to this day what it what it was uh it was bacteria pneumococcal pneumonia that went septic is all i know okay yeah i had like pus coming out of my nose for for a few weeks <laughs> but at the time you know by by now i'm 30 in my 30s so let's go back a little um i kind of step away because i'm trying to figure life out yeah you know like but I'm still skating like every day. 
And then um, I finally decide, okay, I'm going to do air conditioning and heating. So I go to Las Vegas, back to Las Vegas, and uh, I do air conditioning and heating. And while I'm doing that, I do some shows at the MGM on the weekend. They had a, uh, they had like, I don't know, you just did demos basically. Some kind of like Cirque du Soleil thing or something, maybe? Yeah. Some, yeah, kind of like that. Yeah, it, it was, I forget what it's called, but I would sub in for, for a couple guys so they okay. could go compete. And I would just kind of pop in here and there, do a weekend. So I was doing shows and going to H. Uh, heating and air conditioning school like a trade school yeah i get i get done with that and i move back to st george and i get hooked up with a, a great uh family-owned company and they were more than happy to have me like work in the summer and then spring and fall i would go to california and do my skating stuff or go on skate trips all, so it worked out well and then um, 22, 23, I split the, I split a rail and crushed a disc in my back. Um, I have, I'm dealing with that for like a year, trying to get that figured out. Um, so I get that figured out, start skating again, everything's going good. I have a kid, I get married, I have a kid. Um, things don't work out with her and I, uh, I meet my current wife and we have a kid together. And so you're talking like, by now I'm like 28. I get into fighting like professional. Oh yeah. Cause you got into like, it was MMA or something. You Yeah. 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 I got, I was always a big boxer. I loved boxing when I was a kid. I loved fighting. I, can, that, it kind of sounds like you just like getting into anything that can get you really, really hurt. <laughs> basically. I, I, for some reason, just like pain. Mo it, motocross, I don't know. skateboarding, yeah. rollerblading, getting punched in the face, right? <laughs> That's basically what happened is like, well, I'm going to, I started training so I could get back on the skate. So I get, I was like, okay, I was dabbling in skating, but I was like, ah, oh, every, everything's so stiff. Okay. Um, I think I've seen that Mike Budnick got into it and I was like, oh, that's yeah, so yeah. cool. He's huge, I'm going to do yeah. it. I'm going to do it. So same thing. I dove head first into MMA, uh, got way into training and i mean i was training like four or five nights a week skating on the weekends and working in between all that and then luckily i had people that would help me watch my daughter at night so i'd go train stuff like that and so you so must much. you must have been in good shape at that time because you know if you're doing all that exercise and all this yeah like, and it's it's not like you can be partying because you can't you can't do all that and have time to like be socializing that much. So in between that, I I did um never got into partying too much. I I did dabble, like 
I was a weekend warrior. Right. Thursday come, go to the park, start your party Thursday. <laughs> um, stuff like that. But okay. once I had a kid, that was it. Like that's what I mean. Yeah, like it takes it takes up all your time and yeah, and energy. Just just mo- like any enthusiasm you have for that, you're like, no, I, I'm kind so of too tired. I can't. My blow. daughter. I used to take my daughter to the skate park in her stroller and just put her in front of like, there's this mini ramp bowl section and I would just skate that section. And then when I'd go skate a different section, I'd wheel her over and (laughs) okay, she, yeah, she would go to the tattoo shop with me. She would go, I took my kid everywhere with me. Like, I never wanted to, I wanted to do the things I liked, but I never wanted to do them without her. Yeah. So Plus that's quite cool. Just, Cause she's got, she's got to have some kind of residual memories of those being like, Oh yeah. Like that, that kind of rings a bell. Yeah. Oh yeah. And there's like pictures of her in the background at, at stuff. And, um, when I met my, my wife now, I was just getting ready for my first pro MMA fight. I did the fight. Things went well. Then I got offered a spot on the tap out team and they had a gym in Las Vegas. And so I moved to Vegas with the thinking, Oh, I'm going to become a professional fighter. And I'm there for like a month and I blow my knee out. All right. So sir, I, my knee just, just, I didn't fall. I didn't do anything. I was getting out of an attic. My knee popped and it exploded basically. Okay. So I had to have another knee surgery. So that was surgery number six in my twenties on my right knee. So I had five surgeries before that and then i had number six uh there and so once that happened i was like um i'm like older it that dream's not gonna happen uh and then just put my head down and would work and skate on week i skated a lot by myself right just it kind of it kind of seems like you're like predisposed to be very very good at like whatever you turn your hand to but your body just doesn't want to play along. Well yeah, I've beat it up since I was like <laughs> 4 years old. I've been yeah. getting hurt. Um I always I used to jump off roofs and when I was like really little. Um my mom said I when I was like 4 or 5 I climbed up on a two-story roof and jumped off onto some mattresses. Like just one of my kids, um, she said, daddy, we learned about, they're learning about the body. And she told, told her teacher, my dad's buttons broke. And the teacher looked at her kind of funny because the, the fear or pain in your head, like, she says mine doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, so. there, there does have to be a certain extent. I think most vert skaters are actually predisposed to kind of be like that. They have a certain, they have a certain kind of ability. I call it like let go skating, where you're just able to like 
to skate a ramp like that, like a like a twelve to fourteen foot ramp, oh. and just and have the mental ability to just go. I'm when I get to the top of that ramp, I'm just going to pump as hard as I can and see <laughs> and see how far it's going to shove me into the atmosphere. I feel like you have to have. When I was a kid, I was like, "There's something wrong with these people. Like they're they're not right. Like why would you? Yeah. Because when I, I see street skating, and when I, well, I still actively street skate. I feel like it's so much more calculated risk. Like if you come yeah. off early off a handrail, you can grab the handrail, or you can like roll off. You can roll out if you miss the ledge. You can roll out of it, or you know, slide or whatever. I feel like if it goes wrong, you know, 10 feet above a 12, 13 foot ramp, there's no, it's not calculated risk. You're just dropping. Some of the worst falls I've ever had was like popping out on a vert ramp and just landing flat. Cause like you said, you're, you're 12 feet plus whatever air you caught and you hit dead flat. Like, yeah. Yeah. If you drift, you're in a world of trouble. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's super, it, it's a brutal uh, thing for sure. I'm like looking off there. there. <laughs> Although I loved, I loved how earlier you were like, I feel so much safer on a vert ramp. And then you've just went, yeah, it, when it goes wrong on a vert ramp, it goes wrong, wrong. Yeah. I, but grinding on a vert ramp was terrifying. But that's what I like. I, I think it's good for you to make your butt pucker once in a while. <laughs> and I still do dumb stuff. Like because of that, I, I want to like feel scared. The problem is it takes, well, I guess to be pretty gnarly for me to like be scared of it. So that's the give and take of it all. Yeah. That's the, yeah. Yeah, you have to you have to pay to play basically yeah um, yeah w- like where were there any moments during your skating career where you're like this is because i feel like vert skating vert skating progressed very quickly to the point where it you know the guys that were winning competitions were just ones that were throwing like like you know a big spin into a run oh, or a guy that was yeah. throwing you know, Sesamora had like the massive laid out backflip, but then it got to the point where it was just like every single guy on the tour was doing either double backflip oh, or yeah. flat spins or, you know, just insanely complicated um, spins and flips, but it felt like it just kind of got a bit insane, basically. I, yeah, when they got to that level, I didn't have a vert ramp to practice on. So I was trying to show up to these events and I quickly, after not skating vert for, let's say, six to eight months, in that six to eight months, these guys jumped, leaped and bounds. Yeah. So I was like, eh, I'll just skate street. Because the, <laughs> the vert guys were properly, they were like the first athletes of blading because the street skaters were just kind of yeah. winging it. They were just oh, in the streets yeah, doing whatever. Didn't. And then when the competitions came around, they just tried to do whatever they could do on the streets. But the yeah. vert skaters were training, and you could oh, see yeah. that when, because the, the vert guys were ripped. Like you would see the vert guys on the ramp, and they had like six packs and muscles, yeah. and you'd see the the street skaters, and they were all just scrawny little kids. Oh yeah, yeah, it is a big difference. Um, but yeah, same thing. Like I remember when I had a vert ramp. I mean, I would spend hours and hours just hitting airs, air, air, back and forth just to be able to do a 
you have to get your strength and stamina up to a point to go as hard as you can for 60 seconds. Yeah, that's a, that's a and, long time on a vert. Yeah, people don't even realize, if you've never skated vert, you have no clue how exhausting that is. <laughs> so it, it, it's crazy. I mean, doing doing a minute wrong long run in a bowl or a mini ramp is oh is, is tough. Brutal. Doing it on a vert ramp is is next level. Yeah, uh, what's cool nowadays though is so many of the skate parks have big stuff like here in Salt Lake that uh, Vans has a Vans Bowl here where mm-hmm. they had a big contest a few years back and they left the whole uh, the bowl. And it it's like my favorite place to go. It, it's so much fun. Haven't Street League left a skate park there recently as well? And just in, this in weekend, yeah, just this weekend they opened that. Um, they were still building it last week when I okay. went by. It was still, but it just got finished in time for the contest, right. and they're gonna leave it. It's right next to the Vans Bowl. So now I have like these, but Salt Lake has so many good skate parks. It's crazy. I mean, they have a lot. We one summer, I, I, we called it the early old man session. Okay. We would meet up at like 7 a.m. at a random skate park every week. And I did that for an entire summer and still didn't skate them all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah. I live in Scotland, which is a tiny country, smaller than most yeah. states. And we have got, I'm going to say, over 100 concrete skate parks. Yeah. They're it's everywhere. It's so cool now that it's such a big thing that they're, they're just skate parks are everywhere. But look at the level of skating nowadays. It is that's what i what wanted I, to ask you about because the, the type of skater that you wear i feel like that's one of the most common types of skater there is now most and i kind of oh yeah it, it reminds me of when like eric bailey came up because obviously you were skating with him in the oh. early days when he was on roses and he was like yeah you know the he little competition did. guy and really young but he did when, that tattoo for me oh no way and then he did, I don't know if you can see this one, the wings. Yeah. The that one. He did he did those two tattoos for me like two years ago. And um, that's that's pretty awesome. <laughs> it's um, yeah. But when when he like reemerged and had his second career and got on yeah. Valo and stuff like that, he was just that guy that you could yeah, like you said, it had the whole kind of supercomputer robots vibe. You mm-hmm. could take him to a competition and he'd win it. You'd take him to the street and he'd be the most like technical biggest guy there. And yeah, or you'd take him to a bowl and a skate park and it literally felt Anything. like there's nothing you can't put in front of him that he's not going to be incredible on. And since that time of Eric Bailey, you know, obviously he's faded away and is now doing like tattoo and stuff, but in yeah. that time, it felt like everyone who's come up, it's no longer, you can't just be a good grinder or a good handrail skater or a good ledge skater. Yeah. You have to be able to, in order to get the respect to the community, you have to be able to do everything. And there's so many skaters like that now, you know, throughout the years, like, I don't know, 
even in recent things like Bobby Spazov and Nils Janssens and oh, Julian I Cudeau love those and like, guys. And so it, good. It's like you have to be able to skate on all terrain. Otherwise, people are like, I don't really know if you deserve to be pro. But in the 90s, it yeah. was like all you needed was your specialty. Yeah. Like, like all you need to do is be the handrail guy. Like, yeah. Or, you know, whatever, or, or the street contest guy or the vert guy. And that was it. Your career was made. As soon as you found your little yeah. niche for yourself, you just, you ran with it and that was it. Oh man. Now little kids are, I mean, just unbelievable. I, I really enjoy watching what's going on and how everything is, is evolved. It's literally like when, cause I skated everything. It's like what I always envisioned it as everyone's going to skate at a high level. You're going to be, be able to go anywhere. Um, it, it's really cool to see these guys. Um, I wish Eric Bailey, wish he would have kept skating. Um, never asked him why too much. He, he, he is, he's one of my, I'm going to, definitely put him in the top you, 10 of all time favorites when when ever. he came up i was just like oh yes this is this is what i want to see all the time yeah i knew eric bailey when he is 12 years old <laughs> and so it is just so funny but we were all pretty much kids but like he was the littlest kid out of yeah. us i guess by then we were like 17 18 but still he he was was so good is so good i guarantee he could put skates on today and would be just fine oh yeah i, I don't doubt yeah. it for a second um but it was during that time when you were coming up there was such a stigma about it like if you were it kind of felt like if you did anything other than skating street you got shit talked about oh, it. Like if you were oh, the vert yeah. guy they're like oh but they can only skate vert or if you were the person that won all the competitions, people like you're Mark, only a contest skater, yeah, like Marco so, Hinsey or Matt Salerno and stuff. Like they they weren't respected skaters. Like if they weren't, well, sorry, they were for what they could do, but like as in, no yeah. companies were giving them pro skates because they knew that the pro skate wouldn't sell because they're like, yeah, they can win all the competitions they want. They're not appearing in the magazines. They're not getting video sections. They're not, yep. you know, they're not getting the respect of the the core group of, you know, aggressive skating. Back is, then, now that's not a then, thing. No, no. But I, I was very lucky that I did skate everything. Yeah. So I had the, I, I had the respect of like the core street skaters who, if you ran with the Esco guys and they they said your name and they loved you everyone did that right. that was just it yeah um those guys because they were all in the magazines because the magazine was in san diego the magazine was in southern california yeah everything was there so if you live there um that's one thing i always have wondered like oh i wonder uh, a what if what if i would have moved to california and just skated but we'll never know yeah but it's always fun so Did this you, is like, how much that, skating sorry, means like, to me before we I, get into that okay. did you ever experience that like 
you must have witnessed it or overheard like there must have been these conversations where people are basically just shit talking on the other disciplines within the sport because it felt like that was rife during that period like you know all the street guys are because if you look at daily bread back then it, it seems incredible to me that skaters like you had skaters like fabiola da silva who's yeah. like one of the greatest female skaters the of queen. all time. Still, yeah. You see what she still does? Yeah. Like, and you, you she, had yeah. Mar- Martina Svobodova, again, yeah. like skating on a level with the guys on street, incredible style, true spin tops, aisles and stuff down rails. No magazine coverage. None. Yeah. Just because that was the landscape at that time. It was like, we're yeah. catering to, you know, a teenage male demographic. Yeah. They don't want to see women in these pages. That's just it. Doesn't matter how good yeah, you which are. is which is weird because Angie owned it. Yeah. Like a female skater owned it. Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't know any of that stuff. I really always stayed out of like I'm not the type of guy to like talk behind your back. If I have something to say, I'm gonna say it directly to you. Oh, I just mean as in, did you ever like witness that kind of I don't know animosity at skate competitions and stuff? Because uh, obviously... People didn't. I don't think they did it in front of me, just because they knew like I did skate with those guys. Yeah, it would probably get back to them. Like, yo, did you hear so and so talking shit about you? You should go take care of that. That's type of yeah. yeah. That, that, <laughs> so. So yeah, we Oh yeah, I didn't I didn't think you would ever have experienced no, it personally not me because personally, obviously but you proved your yeah. worth on street, but for those that didn't or didn't ever have street footage or ever appear in I'm I'm sure there was there was, but like I said, I I didn't really listen to that kind of stuff or um cuz I I ran with all the groups. Yeah. I ran with everyone, so I I kind of feel like I always, I feel lucky. I got to hang out and skate with like from top street skater to vert skater, park skater. And I was one of the few guys that got to experience everything. Not too many guys got to. Yeah, definitely not. Did How did you end up um, filming with Brian Smith for night? Was it Night of the String? Yeah. Um, he He just called me. And was like, hey, I'm gonna do this spoof on a uh, day of the rope. I would love for you to be in it and like spoof on. So originally, it was gonna be like a full blown spoof and like have similar songs and you're like kind of poking fun at at the Senate those guys like just just like a funny thing. Was that we, was that not a conflict of interest though? Were you not like I'm going to run this past Arlo first because I don't really want yeah, to get fired? Arlo was like best friends with Brian. They yeah. all lived like a block away from each other. Okay. So I yeah, everyone was in on it. So it is so fun. It is awesome when it came out. Like that section has showed like what I could do. I even though the Senate one did show I could skate some street but basically all it showed is i can 270 top soul stuff that's like but i could do so much more which but i guess those were the tricks that came out the best so i mean they were perfectly laced like you yeah they, they yeah but the the next section 
I really wanted to show like, look, I can skate everything. I can do more than that. And Brian Gate, I had that chance with him. Yeah. Um, that was one. It took a couple months going out there, a weekend here, a weekend there, and just filming with Brian and going to contest and we'd film. And then it, that that's an that's one of my favorite video sections. What what was he like to hang about with? Because obviously everyone knows him as the larger in life, larger yeah. than life personality. And obviously he was in, you know, hoax too and stuff like that. And then everyone saw him in Friends when, you know, he was yeah. his boyfriend so, briefly. And then he became a like Hollywood photographer. But, uh-huh, what, but what, was he that, always like that or did he just turn it on? So he was, when I knew him, like, and we hung out and stuff, he was kind of dabbling in modeling and, um, he would go to, uh, auditions for acting, stuff like that. And then, um, we did all that stuff. And then there's a few years. I, I obviously disappeared. I just didn't really, I skated with some people here and there, but I mostly kept to myself for a few years. Cause I was working, had a family, yeah, stuff like that. Um, the crazy so we get to that part of my career i get i got sick so i randomly got sick and in the documentary you hear me say like all i dreamt about was skating and fighting that's i'm like literally dying and that's what i'm doing in my dream still and then to wake up you have no idea how angry I was to be alive because imagine you're this fit athletic guy and all of a sudden you wake up and your legs are on fire. You can barely breathe. Um, you can, they didn't even know it. They hurt my back. I, I woke up out of the coma. So I was in a medical induced coma. I wake up. And they take the tube out and literally like first thing I say is my legs are burning. And they're like, well, you've been laying for about six weeks. You have a bad back. I was like, okay, I guess. Um, My legs have never burnt like this before. And they sit me up. It's like a week later, they sit me up and I could just feel something's not right in my spine. And somehow when I lost all my muscle and stuff, they moved me to probably like change a, a dressing or something. And it like dominoed four discs in my back. So I, I just randomly had four discs just burst. So I wake up out of this coma and I'm using a walker. Like I couldn't even walk on my own. Then I go to the back doctor and he's like, holy crap, are you sure you didn't get in an accident? And I was like, yeah, I walked into the hospital, told him I didn't feel right. And next thing I know, I wake up and it's like a month later. I woke, I was in a coma for a month and then I was in the hospital for like two weeks after that. And I go see a back specialist. He does an MRI and he did my MRI like a few years before that. 
So he had a previous one. And he's like, dude, it looks like you jumped off a, out of a building because they just crushed. And he goes, you're going to have to have metal put in your spine. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. And he goes, you're going to have to. It's that bad. And I made it one year. And then the disc, something went wrong. And they had to, like, hurry up and do surgery. And they put metal in my spine from basically the tailbone up to the L4, it's called. You okay. have five L, you have five L disc. So four of minor fuse. So I get through that. First thing I do is put skates on, try skate. <laughs> it didn't go so well. So I keep going. A few months later, I get up to get my wife a blanket and my knee explodes for the seventh time, like just pops. I have to have knee surgery again. That was surgery number seven, where the doctor said I did what I could. And uh, so now I have a bad knee. My back is messed up. That's what I was, uh, was going to say. Like, how is now, now that you've got metal in your back, like, how is it in terms of movement or how restricted uh, are you? I've had to fully relearn how to like move because my hips don't move the same way. So, super frustrating. I do that documentary. My buddy Manuel is like documenting me, like coming back and skating and doing all that. I'm doing awesome. And um, out of the blue, I'm moving an air conditioner with a, with a guy. And next thing I know, I'm on the ground. Three more discs pop in my back. So now I, I've been skating, but just a little bit. Like my body's said it's had enough at this point. Yeah. I mean, you've 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 put it through more in like the space of 10, 15 years than most people do in an entire lifetime. So oh yeah. yeah. But man, I just I, I can't stop. Like I can barely walk some days, but the days that I wake up and I feel so so, I throw my skates on and go to any skate park and skate until my legs don't work anymore. I was about to say, because I still see you regularly buying skate products, so you're obviously yeah. using them. Yeah, I still skate. I just, uh, so this happened last year during the pandemic where I popped the other disc. I, I was, man, I made, I got myself from barely being able to walk to going to Blade Cup and taking third in the veterans. And then... Six months later, just randomly popping some couple more discs. So basically, all last year I only skated twice, but this year we found the right uh, right balance of medications and and exercise and stuff. And I fit skating in when I can. I work a lot. I just started a air conditioning heating business. Okay. So I I like working. I I enjoy it. So it takes my mind off my body pains and stuff. Because if not, you'll just sit around and feel feel bad for yourself. Yeah. And, and 
did did the doctors ever like give you a reason for why why you're having such kind of chronic back problems or like have they managed to attribute it, it to anything or do they just think it's just from long-term abuse yeah yeah like what they see in my spine is um that they the discs are just bro- broken down think mm-hmm. about it. back back in our the heyday what were we doing the biggest thing was you wanted to do a grind and do like 12 foot drop and um like there's a thing i never even filmed it and i i'm mad at myself i would i skated on top of a shipping container so think how tall that is yeah i jumped on a handrail did a royale to alley soul 450 out and you gotta think it's like a 12 foot drop yeah that's that's a lot (laughs) like And like I said, I like doing things that scare me. So if I'm not scared, I can't tell you how many times I jumped gaps and they were too big for for me, where I would jump them and literally just smash to the ground because my bot is just too big for me. Yeah, yeah, it's going to take its toll. Yeah. So all that stuff. and, And I started... I'm one of the, I started action sports before it was action sports. You know, when I was skateboarding, it was a degenerate thing. It was, you're a loser. You skate, oh, you skateboard, you don't play football. Like, and so I've been abusing my body since I was four years old. And doing anything but man even though i've had moments of weakness where like to be honest i've thought about just ending it and stuff because of just letting everything weigh on you um i had four years where i i couldn't work i was a stay-at-home dad and you would think that that would have made me happy because I am so into my kids and I hated it. Uh, like any, any parent in the world will tell you like being a, being a parent is great, but being a parent all day, every day, like it, sometimes yeah. going, going to work is like, is, is a yeah. respite from it. And well, it's, it's time to yourself. I'm, I'm a, I don't do, I, I have to be active. Yeah. So sitting around and at the time, like I had back surgery and knee surgery. And so I was just sitting around a lot, feeling sorry for myself and seeing skating going and just being mad that I was alive. Like, it's kind of hard to explain someone that I was pissed off to be alive because I'm like, I went from this guy that was did all this my whole image my whole soul was skating and you took that away from me yeah that's how i felt and people are like you should be so lucky you have your family you have this and i'm like i i didn't feel lucky i i was like yeah like if that of course if that was your identity for so long and then you, you basically watch you watch 
some other people living a life that you used to lead, of course, that's going to be upsetting. Yeah. So, but, um, I did, I came close. Um, and I literally had one second that said, what are you doing? And if that second wouldn't have happened, like we wouldn't be talking. That second came and literally changed everything. I was like, dude, what are you doing? You haven't even tried. Like, what? You're just going to stop? Like, come on, at least give it a good try. So what I start doing, I just start. my goal every day, I started going back to work. And my goal was to work as hard as I possibly could to go home exhausted. When that became easy, I started carrying around a 30-pound backpack and would walk up and down the stairs to make myself exhausted. The next thing I know, a buddy asked me to go play hockey. I've never played hockey in my life, but he was like, I bet you'd like it. I went and played hockey for like a couple months, got strong enough where I was like, oh, I can rollerblade again. Bought a pair of big wheel skates. I saw the video. It's a, a, a hilarious video. I post it like once a year. I go to do uh, something on the big wheel and you just see me disappear and you hear a oomph in the background because I just <laughs> ate shit. But yeah, if it wasn't for all that, like it, I've worked hard to get back skating and now I'm, I'm just. I'm not willing to let that go for anything. Like I'm going to end up in a wheelchair sooner or later, and I'm going to have skates on my feet, figuring out how to do stuff with it. So, I mean, it, it does show strength of character because think about, I mean, you'll know more people than I do, but throughout my entire, like I've been rollerblading for over 25 years and I've lost count of the amount of times that people over the years have, you know, broken a wrist and went, that's me, I'm done. Or like broken yeah. a leg or an ankle or whatever. And they're like, Nope, can't experience well, something like that again. And it does. Yeah. You, Cause you find out how much you love something. So yeah. when I rode dirt bikes, my mom originally said, if you get hurt really bad, that's it. Because my mom watched my dad, go through major injuries and stuff and when i broke my leg had my friend start the bike and i held my leg together and rode it a couple miles to because we were out in the middle of the desert i had to ride it when i re refused to leave my bike out in the desert and call an ambulance she's like you can keep your bike like you love that thing to to endure, you know, getting on and off a dirt bike with a shattered leg is, yeah. isn't a fun thing. And so she, she was like, okay, you can keep the bike. And yeah, that's, that was just the first indicator, but to go through all that other stuff and to go through, you know, constant, you know, knee reconstructions, you know, you've seen it with other skaters throughout the years, like Josh Petty, and he's like, I just can't take this anymore. I'm done. Yeah. And, but you you just kept going, I'm finding a way back to this, even if it's not to do it at, you know, the highest level, even if it's not yeah. to compete. Yeah. It's just, I just want to keep doing it. That that shows 
a lot of things about a person's character. Uh, it gives me like my favorite place, like I said, is the Vans Bowl here. And it's funny because the minute I decided I was going to do a, a section, I was like, I got to hold some friends. Hey, will you help me film? Like a week later, I blew my back out. And I was just like, are you kidding me? So now I'm like, okay, maybe just skate. <laughs> just go skate. Just be happy you can skate. Stop. I did have the ambition of like, like going to Blade Cup. I had no, like to me, third place wasn't good enough. Like I wanted to go. And it took me a minute to realize, well, bro, look how much you went through to get back here. Yeah. And you got back in skating with guys that are really good. You know, John Julio's no joke. <laughs> um, the Aaron Feinberg showed up that year. He yeah. won. He yeah. killed, like, that guy just shows up and he's so good. He's like, I mean, oh, I haven't skated in ten years. Yeah, he's, he's one of the most I don't believe that, talented though. skaters of all time. Well, no, he's, he's, <laughs> I, I know that he's skated on and off, but yeah, he's, yeah. he's undeniably one of the most naturally talented skaters oh, of all time. So yeah, yeah. it's um, ingrained in him. Like for some of us, that just and everyone would tell me, "Oh, Mike, calm down. Uh, try not." And I've told it, yeah, him, "Like, take it easy. I'm not trying to go hard." I go with how I feel. I'm just going with whatever trick comes natural in that moment. And it either works out well or it doesn't. Yeah, but they, they, they probably see you standing at the top of the ramp and then they see that look in your eye and they're like, oh, here, now, please just, yeah. just rein it in. We can see the, we can see the competitive <laughs> spirit rise. Now. I know. Just, it just does. Chill out. Your friend does something. I, and Utah has one of the deepest pools of talented skaters. They all, we always have it. It's there's So I know there's so many good people here. So many, but like Hazen Bell is incredible. Hazen, Hazen Bell is, is still killing it. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, there's this other guy here. His name's Jet. And but he's probably one of the most talented guys ever, but injuries. Okay. And so it makes it tough. He, so that's, that's been the big thing that's kind of slowed him down. But if there's ever in a time his body will let him do it, he could easily be one of the top guys out there. Him and Hazen. Hey, I've seen Hazen do some stuff that's, I think Hazen's problem is he makes it look too easy. He's this big guy that just he's, looks yeah, he's easy. A, he's, a big to, he's like, he, he kind of reminds me of Derek Henderson. He's one of these yeah. guys that you don't think should be that agile, but yet but surprisingly is. Yeah, exactly. He is similar. He He's this big guy that lands so soft and you're like, man, it, I don't know. He's he just so impressive and he can skate everything. Okay. Like he, I don't, well, I shouldn't say that because not so much vert, but he can skate like big bowls and stuff still. Uh, grind wise, he can right. do a lot of lip tricks. 
but yeah. Yeah, because he was over and he was in Europe a couple of years ago and he filmed with yeah one of my friends, Kevin. Oh, and he used to put yep. out a street section in a very short space of time. Yeah, they filmed it in like a couple days. He yeah. was there for like a week, week and a half or something like that. And just him and his wife went and uh they want he went because he won that year he won mile high and then i think he also won blade cup that year okay something like that or place either way i'm terrible when it comes to like yeah competition things i can yeah i I always get the years mixed up oh and people ask me stuff and i'm like i don't know (laughs) i just you're like, do you know me? Could have been 96, could have been 97, could have been 90. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's like, do you know how many times I've hit my head? Come on. <laughs> or got punched in the head. <laughs> oh. um, so that's what I was wanting to ask. Looking back on those times, and I know there was people that you really looked up to, like Renee Hallgrain, and there were certain people you were quite close to. Like, who, who, like on the competition circuit and stuff like that, did you become like really like close personal friends with? Who do you look back on and go, God, we like we had we had a strong bond during that time? Were were there was there anyone? Uh Marco Hinze, because him and I were just together, like we we still to this day talk, like through not we're not as friendly, but I'd say we're we're we still associate. Yeah. Um but can't find just the utah guys like tory i was going to europe with him and stuff like that and um i, I don't know rawlinson all right no me way. and rawlinson rivera there's many years where i rawlinson i like it was almost like big brother little brother he he would just we we became really close um for a few Honestly, there's like a couple of years with Rawlinson or it started with Marco, a couple of yeah. years with him, then a couple of years with Rawlinson. Then other than that, I kind of stuck to, I've always kind of just, I'd talk to people, hang out, but a lot of times just stuck with myself. Um, I know I might see, I am very social, but I'm, oddly like i really like alone time yeah so i i'm the the introvert that's very social or whatever i, I, I don't I, know I how it, it yeah. works out but i know you've been yeah yeah but and the older i get though i get worse like i don't like being around a lot of people <laughs> that that once a year going to blade cup i do enjoy that showing up reminiscing but I'm a big believer in not living in the past. Those things made me, but I have five. I have five daughters. You have, yeah. You have been productive on the yeah the, the childbearing front. Yeah, <laughs> I have an awesome wife. Um, I, I got great friends that from skating and outside of skating. Um, lifelong friends from punching each other in the face doing doing MMA like um, I feel very fortunate that a lot of my friends are people I've known since I was like 14 15 
That um, is, yeah, that is very cool because it's it becomes a lot harder as you get older and people people's interests and personalities, you know, change and clash. Yeah, like with, with views, as you, especially because you get older, because like politics and stuff comes into yeah, that. Yeah. Well, living in a state that's very religious, I learned very quickly that I don't talk about religion or politics ever, like with people. I don't, just not. Um, I, I just learned like that just can stir some stuff up that yeah. it's okay. It's okay to believe different things. It's fine. Like you're, you're not going to agree with everyone. True. So, um, so when you travel a lot at a young age, you better figure that stuff out or like, yeah. Yeah. I, I, tra- traveling at that age, I definitely think is, is you, absolutely learn more than you're ever going to learn in the classroom because you're instantly forced into a situation with people from different cultures backgrounds different you know class like whether they go oh, yeah. poor, rich whatever and if you don't learn to be open-minded and you know just take other people into consideration you're going to quickly get ostracized and just left out of everything because they're going to be like oh you're a little bit racist well that's not okay yeah or oh you're a yeah. bit of a snob no nah, it's not cool like just you then you're not hanging out with us no so, yeah, yeah exactly so i just didn't i i learned at a young age too to like learn from people like you can learn from everyone different things don't don't be to be humble like i get excited seeing my friends like skating that's what it's about like when I mean humble, I don't know. There, some guys like it drove me nuts. Like they don't want to tell you. Ask, oh, how do you do this? And oh, I'm not going to tell you. Like what? What? What do you mean you're not going to tell me? Like we're skaters. Like <laughs> get give me a little. <laughs> yeah. How do yeah. I do this trick or that? So. Yeah, it's, being it's, humble yeah, gets you, you a lot farther in life than thinking like you're the greatest at everything. Yeah. So no, absolutely. Um, so you've obviously mentioned that you've got loads going on in your current life with you know a new business. That yeah. Consider considering the, the stories you've told me tonight, I'd be very shocked if it you know isn't a success because it just kind of sounds like you go 100 at everything um and a massive family of all girls that that yeah. sounds i've i've only got one daughter and i'm exhausted so yeah i can only imagine how you're coping with that um, i'm lucky my my kids are you know, they're awesome like they're good kids um yeah i i, I feel very lucky because i mean i grew up in a house with a bunch of sisters and they do when they were young they were terrible (laughs) (laughs) so i was terrified to have girls and then i get very fortunate to have my kids uh be good people yeah no that is awesome um you said you don't like to live in the past but i'm gonna make you do it one more time before we end this looking back looking back what what is your like fondest memory of that time of that time of being like a pro skater traveling the world 
competing, doing all that kind of stuff? Like what, what means the most to you looking back on it? What do you, what did you cherish the most from it? Um, it's not that far back though. What, what I cherish the most is getting back to skating, my buddy Manuel doing that documentary and how many people said non-skate, like when I went to Blade Cup, skaters' wives coming up to me and saying that I've inspired them to try. That's honestly touched me more than any um, competition or anything like that. Okay. So, like I said, it wasn't that long ago. If I had to pick something before that, it was winning this, but only because how it worked out, how a month before I get to battle like someone I respect so much and like the only guy I, I cared about, um, well admired as like what he could do the pet. I put him on a pedestal. So for, to look back, one of my favorite moments is um, me being happy when he won, but how happy to have like someone you respect, like be excited that you won. Yeah. I thought looking back, that was one of the, the like coolest moments was what a moment I just shared with Renee, you know, after the contest, that type of thing was pretty super rad but i everything in my life uh still um is because of skating my mental fortitude is because of hitting the ground and wanting to land a trick all for what nothing glory just 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 to say you did it yeah person well yeah just personal satisfaction yeah more than yeah like i did this on this rail and how skating teaches you that like to get up and try again and stuff so i contribute skating to like it's me i i like you asked me oh i'm a rollerblader that's what i am that's every bit of me is what i identify as Uh, yeah i think that's true for a lot of people because after after you start doing it for a certain amount of years it's no longer just this thing that you do it's it's, you know a huge part of what makes you as a person because you think about it so much or you it influences so many other aspects of your daily life like i don't know the music you listen to or the the people though like i've met every walk of life i've got to skate with very wealthy people i've got to skate with the poorest of poor people and when you're on skates it does none of that matters yeah like yeah it's like it's a it's a social equalizer yeah. or leveler yeah 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 so but yeah man i i really appreciate you reaching out and us doing this not at all i've taken up well over two hours of your time today oh so man I'm, I'm, I'm gonna let you enjoy <laughs> the rest of your sunday yes but- sir Thank you very much Thank for taking you. the time today. Some of those stories were, yeah, 
some of your stories are just like if if they didn't happen to you, they, they you'd expect to have seen them it's in like, a film or something. It's just yeah. insane. Yeah. But, <laughs> well, thanks, man. Well, I'm glad you're doing thank well. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, and let's chat again soon. Good luck with the business, and uh, yes, good luck sir. with all those daughters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that. You too. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye.